0: Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories.
1: My name's Paula Cottervich.
0: So
2: my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader.
1: Molly Shorthouse.
0: My name's
3: Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman.
0: I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living
3: with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear.
0: I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and
3: emotional well-being. Uh, my career now. Uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. I led a team that negotiated a $22 million native title. Definitely taught me in my life a lot of persistence and given me a lot of strength.
0: We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. Thanks to COVID, many of us are thinking about the problems of ageing. But those of us who might be seen to be on the brink of old age are now thinking a lot more about how we can grow older well. I've got lots of friends who are on the brink, and they're doing very well so far. I wanted to ask them what they were doing to keep so well, so I invited a few of them to lunch. I'd like you to come to lunch with us and listen to the conversation we had about being well as we grow older. Even if you're not anywhere near old age yourself, listening to how these people cope may just help you help the older people in your life when they're not doing so well. My name's Jan Orman. For the purposes of establishing my credentials, I want to tell you that I'm 65 this year. I am a GP and have been a GP since I left university. I went straight from school to university and straight into general practice from university. And it's only recently that I've stopped seeing more general general practice patients and have limited my clinical work to patients with mental health issues. I've had a long-standing interest in mental health. Uh, back in 2000, I did a master's degree in cognitive behavioral therapy, which several of my colleagues here have also done. And that led me my general practice practice to be more and more mental health oriented. So um, what I do now is I do a clinical day a week in looking after patients with mental health problems and the rest of my time I work for Black Dog. My name's
4: Sarah and in a few weeks time I will be 73. Um, I also like Jan went straight from universe from school to university to do medicine, which I had decided at the age of eight that I wanted to be a doctor and uh, didn't didn't veer from that. Um, I did a couple of years in hospital and then straight into general practice. Also, over the years in general practice, I have, I found that I was interested in people telling me about their mental health issues, that I had a a way of relating to them and talking with them, so I also went and did further training um, in in mental health at the same degree that Jan has. Uh, I have maintained general practice as well and sort of had a separate psychotherapy type practice for a couple of sessions a week. Um, and I've also been working with Black Dog as one of the facilitators for many years and for for about ten, I've forgotten how many years now, five, I was writing some of the programs as well. I am at the point of very much I've been mumbling about retiring from general practice for some years and have recently decided that I will make this the last year I do general general practice, although I would probably like to keep up my teaching and mental health practice. I think that decision deserves a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> there are, those decisions are
0: hard coming. Yes, it's, it's
4: really been hard to make, but I guess I've just, I'm feeling somewhat burnt out by general practice.
3: So my name is Howard, <coughs> Howard Gwynne and I'm 80 this year. Oh. And um, I'm, well, what else? So um, I studied medicine in Western Australia. And after that I did a research degree in pharmacology and then I went to America for three or four years and worked in America in community health and came back to Australia and got involved in health administration. Uh, And I had a career in health administration and in state government. And then 20 years ago I made a change to go back into uh, psychotherapy. And I've been a general practice psychotherapist for the last twenty years. I'm um, just this year reduced my time to two days a week, so I'm working two days a week as a psychotherapist.
0: Okay. I reckon that's pretty fantastic for an eighty-year-old.
2: Are you eighty? Eighty later this year? Isn't no, it? I'm eighty already. Yeah. Oh, oh, congratulations! No. Oh, wow! <laughs> I think
0: you're fantastic anyway, Howard. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, my name's Sybil Johnson. Um, I've been a doctor for fifty years, so I'm seventy-three. Um, I worked for a little while when my children were little in traffic accident research which was quite different from what I do now and then I went back into general practice and after maybe 10 years back in general practice I had a patient come and tell me that she was a victim of sexual abuse and I had no idea really about the impact of that on people so was suddenly on a rapid learning curve and learnt a lot about the effects of childhood abuse and trauma. And I think because I'm a quiet person, I'm a good listener. So I've found people willing to just come and talk to me about what was happening for them. And so that's how I developed my interest in mental health and did the a course in psychological medicine and my current work is a lot of geriatrics and Some general, ordinary general practice and some counselling, particularly people with chronic mental health illness and childhood abuse in particular. I'm working almost full time. I don't work on one and a half days a week, but the rest of the week I work. So three and a half days, I suppose, it's almost full time. When you consider how many
0: hours go into those days, yes.
1: Yeah, it's, mm. yeah. And it's everyone else's in the entire world full time. Yeah, probably, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. And my name's Margie Gottlieb. I um, am 68. I did medicine and then thought I would do paediatrics. So I worked for three years at the old children's hospital um, and became a paediatric registrar and then got pregnant um, mm. and decided <laughs> not to sit for the exams um, and to go into general practice. So I went into general practice with small, with a small baby in tow and ended up um, really loving psychological medicine but did general general practice and still do. I also did a Master's in Psychological Medicine like the rest of the troops or some of the other people here. And I really do a combination of both general practice and psychological medicine. And then um, I've moved slowly into doing more um, psychological medicine, but it's still 60-40 psychological medicine and general practice, 60 being the psychological medicine. And then for the last 10 years I've been teaching at Notre Dame, being a PBL teacher, a stroke senior lecturer. Um, and I, I have taken this year off since the beginning of coronavirus because um, they were sending me um, somebody who had come off the Diamond Princess Um, into one of my small classes and I didn't feel like that was a risk I wanted to take. So i just stuck with the general practice and, in fact, I thought it was going to be wonderful. I thought, wow, I'm just going to have two and a half days of general practice and the two and a half days have turned into four days now of general practice because I'm so busy um, doing telemedicine.
0: You know, I think what's really interesting is that we all have answered a question that involves telling it, the world about ourselves in terms of our medical careers, our
4: work. You're the one who no, two of you mentioned children. The, yes. the,
0: the kid's got a passing mention in those answers. But is that because um, we think that's what people want to know about us or because we think that's the most important thing about us?
4: Because for me, I think it was there are two things. One is it was the context in which we were asked about it and therefore that was what I responded with. And the other thing was, a third thing, another was thinking, I don't want to take up too much time and hog the microphone for too long, so telling too much. And the third thing was part of what we're all talking about, the ageing thing, that when I begin to start something like this, I will forget one of the things I might have been going to say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That reminds me, I've already forgotten because I have done some teaching for Black Dog as well, so I want to put that in.
0: I can tell you a little bit about my own experience of psychological distress and mental health problems. If I can just preface it by saying in order to understand it, you probably need to understand a bit about where I came from. And basically I was born to a mother who was quite old when she had me and I grew up in a household full of old people. So this whole subject of ageing well is quite close to my heart. My mother died when I was in year 12 at high school and my father already had dementia at that stage. He'd been experiencing quite severe depression, which then gradually moved into dementia. And that all started when I was about 10. So uh, growing up, I was very close to the whole issue of people not functioning very well psychologically. And needless to say, having grown up in that sort of environment, I didn't come out of it without my own mental health problems as well. And I um, probably started experiencing um, depressive episodes when I was at university and perhaps even earlier than that. Um, but I think the other thing that too is that those circumstances of my mother dying and my father being in a nursing home before I'd even left school um, led me to need a career that had um, a distinct and clear line uh, that I followed. So although I was much better at humanities than I was at science, I thought I've got to do something that I know the end point. Um, And so I did medicine. It was either law or medicine, you know, I suppose I could have done architecture, but, you know, something where where the career was clear cut and there was some job security at the end of it, and I hated every minute of it. But I needed that structure around me. And I've never been wonderfully happy in medicine. I've, I'm sure much of my distress, my, my episodes of depression are about the fact that I'm a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square hole or something. There are aspects of it that I've really enjoyed but aspects of it that I haven't enjoyed at all. And, and I often wonder if I'd made another career choice, would I have had quite as much in the way of depression as I've had? I don't have um, severe depression. I just have episodic depression that interferes with my functioning to some extent.
4: Um, so that's my story. I grew up as the eldest in a family. I have, three, I have two younger sisters, quite big gaps, a family that had quite a lot of conflict um, between my parents um, and very much a, a high expectations of academic success and fun- financial success, um, but not much warmth. Uh, I then, uh, I think I made a good, a, a, I'm sure I made a good marriage where I got a lot of the, the warmth that I'd, I hadn't had, but... Gradually through the period of time of the expectations that were put on me as a uh, a wife and mother and a doctor, I became quite severely depressed um, when my children were primary school age and I've had episodes of depression since then and been on antidepressants um, continuously. Um, I then have since watched my parents go into quite severe dementia um, and and my mother-in-law. So and then I think my the experience also so that's a sort of personal experience, but also realizing just and as I talk with patients and things, and and friends in, in different um, spheres, almost everybody has mental health people with mental health issues in their family. There's but we we don't none of us have escaped. So it's part of it's now sort of part of. Of life, and I guess the more that I've got involved in it, the more people tell me about it as well too. I've also been in very long term psychotherapy for myself, which I find very supportive. So, um, and and <laughs> my own experiences are probably uh, I find myself sometimes engaging with patients in a way and think, oh, and no, I know where I got that one from <laughs> from my own
3: therapy. <laughs> yes.
0: So you do actually learn a lot from having therapy. Yourself. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. yes, yeah. yes.
3: Um, so my involvement in, in mental health is a bit different. I, um, I've really had a, my primary career was in management and so I, I never got involved in mental health. It was quite an abstract thing and a distant sort of area for me until my 60s. When I was 60, I had a senior job in government, a state government, as a manager. And I lost my job with a change in government, and that was very traumatic for me. So um, I did go through about two or three, no, probably about several years of real personal struggle, Uh, and um, then I became a management consultant, as trying to find a new career, and in part of the management consulting, I did psychotherapy um, uh, to help me with my management consulting so that's so it was a kind of a lateral transition and I suppose during that transition period I realized a lot of my own personal behavior patterns I started to notice uh, relationship difficulties and other things in my life and so I suppose at that point I had some personal experience um, and I got more and more interested in the psychotherapy and less and less interested in the management consulting so it was a kind of a strange transition at the age of 60. And since then, I've basically been doing training programs constantly in, in psychological medicine and uh, and enjoying it. And But it was a whole new direction for me in late life.
2: Um, I think my background is fairly simple. Um, I've been a fairly stable kind of person most of my life, I think. I know that I don't have a lot of self-confidence um, and I'm a quiet sort of person, but I just get on with it. I cope with that. My parents died when I was in my 30s um, and I became very good friends with another elderly couple and then they moved away to another state. So somehow or other that was a loss that hit me really hard and I became quite depressed and I just one morning I rang my office, I had my own practice, and I said, I just can't come to work, get someone to come and work because I can't. So I had some time off work and I did see a psychiatrist and he put me on medication, um, which worked magically very quickly. So I think it was probably just getting the support that was really helpful. Um, And uh, having some time off and a little bit of time to recover and adjust to my loss was probably helpful. Um, And I I think it actually proved to be a turning point in my life because gave me an understanding of what it's like to be depressed and what it's like for people to be struggling and I think that's helped me in my work and that's probably why I've taken an interest in psychological medicine and helping people with life difficulties. So fairly simple story but it's um,
0: It seems uh, that that personal experience is really important
2: in in Helping you, I'm. I'm sure it was a turning point for me. Mm. Mm. I'm not. Um, I
1: don't get depressed. I got very anxious as a university student, and I've always had anxiety. So, um, I think uh, some genetic loading and some environmental stuff. So, I remember <clears throat> seeing a guy called Basil somebody or other when I was a uni student. Who told me that you know it was all my relationship with my father that had made me very anxious, and and he said you know that'd be fine. What I did find was meditation. So I became interested in mindfulness and meditation, sort of in the '90s, and you know went to a Jon Kabat-Zinn workshop, and um and and that really was enormously helpful for me personally. So I'm a regular meditator. Um, My children think I should have therapy every now and then. You know, everyone I know has therapy, my friends, my family, my children. um, Mm -hmm. um, They've all got issues and they all say, oh, mum, just go and have some therapy. And I don't. So and I've tried three therapists. I go around asking people, have you got a good therapist? And I give them. I've been once or twice and I've always thought, no, I end up. I'm too controlling. I try and manage them, not, so so I don't. I haven't really found someone I think who I really want to, and I don't actually. Although my husband and my children would disagree because they think I need therapy because I'm a bossy boots and annoy the oh, shit out of them. Oh, it's in their interest. It's in their interest. Therapy. I I sort of rebelliously refuse to mm. see anyone, mm. um, and I think you know, like I'm going to. I'm going to hoozle through life. I think I run slightly above a normal mood. Um, So I don't actually get depressed very easily. I can get very upset and I get emotional and I weep and I cry. But once I've wept and cried and yelled and written a poem, (laughs) I'm usually over it.
4: I have one patient who is, to, to, to say to her you're getting old is an insult. She hates that and she gets very angry if she tells me about somebody thinking she's old.
0: But this is the thing, I think being old is an insult for most people, being yeah, told but that it they're actually, old and that's
4: what's it's, wrong. It's quite interesting, it doesn't. And, and when I actually talked to her about it, she, she's very fearful of death and I sort of thought, I'm not fearful of death and that's quite... Partly by faith, but partly also just, well, that's what happens at the end. trouble trouble is we don't realise
0: at the beginning and all through our lives, we deny it or suppress it or repress it, the fact that it's going to come to an end. Yes. I think if you've got an awareness that, you're immortal all the way through your life, it's probably easier to deal with the notion of yeah. death. It's not death that bothers me anyway, it's the dying. It's the process. It's, yes. a, you know, like I said to you, I watched the, my dad with his depression moving into dementia. I watched my mother, even though she was only 60 when she died, I watched her with her ongoing problems with cardiac failure. I'm now watching my sisters who are in their 80s who are having all sorts of difficulties with their health. Um, so that's the process that bothers me, the thing that I'm... It, mind you, it doesn't bother me so much I'll do some exercise. But anyway, <laughs> that's
4: another story. to
1: say that's the same It should bother me
4: more. There's a certain sense in which the ageing... And the other thing about ageing, which is taking another topic in a sense, is people who don't like the, cha- the physical changes that go with ageing. So people who are fussed about... Getting plastic surgery for their wrinkles or dyeing their hair. Sorry, Mark. Don't make it great.
1: I think
0: medicine, plastic surgery, has done people a disservice, really, because once upon a time, you just dealt with the the physical effects of ageing and and were proud of them or accepted them or whatever but now you can actually do something about the things that you think are wrong so there's a
4: dilemma there it's interesting because for me so what that's what my face looks like now as i get older that's what the mm. color my hair is now i get older and it but I know that everybody's different about that. I just wish we could bottle that level
0: of acceptance and
4: give that to people
0: instead of collagen and Botox.
1: I don't, I don't mind people choosing at all. I think, you know, if you want to sculpt your face or... Oh, I don't mind or, them choosing, you know, but it just do doesn't, doesn't appear to just, me as something... It doesn't appeal to any, me. It doesn't. Why
0: bother? But does it doesn't make them happy?
1: I don't mind whether it does or doesn't. I mean, no. you know, I, I presume it does make some people happy. I mean, I... I just think I look younger dyeing my hair mm. a different colour. But I, I but, but I. Really, why is it
4: important to look younger?
1: That's an interesting question. I prefer the look of myself
4: mm. with yeah, the dark,
1: with the hair, with more colour. Yes. Um, yes. And so I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. But I would never bother to do any of the other things that I see other people do. I don't. I kind of like looking. wise. I want to look wise, but not too old. Do you know why I think it's important? I think it's
0: important because of the way you see people treating you. Because, because I mean, women complain that as they get older, they become invisible, don't they? And I think aging people do become invisible to a lot of younger people. Either that, or they become objects of contempt. God, I wish I lived in a culture where where uh, the, age. the aged were revered and respected. But it's yes. not true of our culture. People who are ageing are not respected.
2: Hmm. I'm not sure about that. Okay, please. I, I, I think people. I'm um, I'm quite surprised when people offer to help me and things, and I think I'm not old. Uh, <laughs> or they perhaps I look old to them, and they offer to help me. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's there's some benefit in looking. on My older. husband
4: laughs when people stand up for him on the, on the bus or the train. Does <laughs> he accept the offer? He does sometimes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
4: I, I don't know. I so I guess
1: I didn't respect because being a baby boomer, like a full-on baby boomer, I didn't respect old people. I thought my parents' mm. views were com, an anathema to me. I, it's I not just, baby boomer. It's just being being rebellious. Person. Well.
3: <laughs>
1: no, see, I'm a baby. <laughs> no, no, I just, I, I just thought they had no idea, they didn't understand any young people. So in a way I just see that I think that, that, you know, there's been, you know, for many, for much of the eons of human existence things didn't change very much but because there's been an escalation of the way the world works. I guess I just see one generation looking at the generation who preceded them with some level of, oh, you know, well, they don't understand us. Or or is
0: it just us? You made me think about that some more. Maybe it's me that doesn't respect older people and I assume or I transfer that disrespect of mine onto other people and assume then that younger people are not respecting older people because I don't now present company is accepted not a single person at this table is someone i consider to be old now there's some irony in that isn't there
1: <laughs> <laughs> but i but i feel like i am old um but I don't feel like I'm old, old, you know. I, yeah. I think there's a difference, you yeah. know. I, so it, it's interesting to think about how one sees oneself. Um, and I think one of the things that I feel is that when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't think I'm actually seeing what I look like. I think some part of my brain is seeing a young me. And when I see people who I've gone to university with or school, um, I'm shocked at how old they look. Now, I don't know how my brain does that, um, but part of me has, has a concept of who I am. It is helped by dyeing my hair, and that's probably the reason why I put colour in my hair. Because it's just, it's it's just that, interesting it? because we were talking about that because if my hair was to be grey. The colour it actually is, I wouldn't see me anymore, not the young me. But I can ignore the wrinkles and the weight and the little chin and so on. As long as I see the 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 curly hair that's the right colour for me, I see young me, you know. And, mm-hmm. and the people around me who are older, um, certainly who I knew when they were young, they look old to me, mm-hmm. you know. But Howard, for example, doesn't look old to me. And that's really interesting because Howard doesn't behave old.
0: Mm. Um, oh, that's got a lot to do with it, yes. hasn't it? So yeah.
1: I think when I see people behaving old, that yeah. makes me see them as old. But an old people be an old older person behaving in a young way stops me from seeing them as old. It's quite an interesting.
0: Do you know what I've tried to take out of my vocabulary? Um, back in the day or back when I was growing up or oh, <laughs> those <laughs> sorts of phrases because the minute you say, oh, when I was young, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you
4: age yourself to yes, the audience that yes. you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One of the interesting things that just made me remember talking about what's old and things, when you hear news broadcasts it says an elderly man was knocked over or something and he was 58. Said, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes.
0: You oh, Look, when mm. we're talking about the things that keep us keep us well, this group keeps me well. Mm. It really does, and I think that that's something that most people need—a peer group.
3: How do we do that? Keep you?
0: Oh, I look at you and think I'm not as old as you. Yes.
1: <laughs> I
0: wasn't going to say that, but I knew we was going to. No, I I mean just just having peers who understand where you're at, who have had similar experiences to you, with whom you can very honestly share what you're thinking and what you're feeling, it's hugely important to everyone, not just old people but, you know, especially to old people who often... Start losing their peers, yes. hmm. um, and and so I mean, my advice to anybody is to if people are dying around you, go find some more people. Yes, you go know. Find, go <laughs> yeah, young
1: yeah, yeah,
3: but there's yes. two, there's multiple ways of losing your peers. I mean, they can lose their mind, or they can lose them. That's you know, true. They can die, that's, so yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, a hard, yes, isn't yeah.
0: it? Or they, or they can
4: ditch you because you're so horrible.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you don't don't sympathise with them. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. One thing, but I've just. I wondered whether you were going to say it then, is a part of this this peer group thing is the being able to laugh about so much. Yeah, the, exactly. The experience, that we've, yeah. we share experiences, but we can also have fun together and, and laugh and, and, and so on. Yeah, which we do do. Mm-hmm. Yes, as you've probably heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. What does retirement mean to me? Freedom, Um, one thing. But I think freedom from being responsible for other people um, is probably one of the things that I want to, that I look forward to. Um, Not having to, yeah, and you were talking about freeing to choose the things that you do. The, the, and I, I think that, that I, if I, today I can do this and today I can do that. Today if I don't feel like doing anything, that's all right too.
0: We really have had lifetimes of responsibility for yes. other people, haven't yeah. we?
4: Yeah. Actually, when I, when I got depressed and suggested that I took time off work or that I, that I realised I had to, the very first time um, it happened, and I actually went into hospital, it was just I just suddenly thought I don't have to be responsible for anybody. It was it an was amazing sort of, yeah, and so I think that's a very real one for me and that's what retirement will bring and just time to do what I do, do feel like and not don't, what I don't feel like doing.
3: Um, I think um, retirement's a bit scary for me and I think there's a, uh, I believe we all have patterns of, of, of our lifetime and mine probably is that I like to think that I'm a making a difference or have some meaning and purpose and I think if I retired I'd have no impact, no meaning, there'd be no purpose in my life. Maybe except for my photography which is one reason why I might retire at some point. But, I, um, but uh, yeah, so retirement is a bit scary for me.
2: I get concerned when I see my older patients who are retired, um, living in villages or nursing homes, and I I really don't like the thought of them declining and watching them go downhill. So I kind of, I think I cope by pretending it's not going to happen to me that I'm young. I mean, I know I'm not, but uh, that is something that worries me, um, seeing them decline and becoming caring for them and... And seeing them decline and die or get nasty things and I find that a difficult part of my job but personally I try to not think about it for me which is really silly I suppose but that's the way I cope I guess by
0: pretending. So it's almost like while you're still working you're not one of those people. That's
2: that's (laughs) exactly right yes yes (laughs) but I must admit that about a year ago I was thinking of Perhaps I should consider retiring or just doing counselling. And I actually did start writing a letter that I would send to patients that I've been seeing for many years to explain why I was doing it and it was partly what we've talked about earlier that I really can't keep up with everything. But then I think, well, I can look up things or I can refer people and some people think I'm still being helpful so I've kept working. Who knows for how long. Maybe you could lend me the draft of the letter.
4: That's <laughs> a, it's a great deal. You send me the draft and you keep working. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I mean, a bit. I, I don't really want to retire. You know, my, my, my father was a role model. My psychiatrist's father was a role model. Um, he never retired. He died in his mid 80s. He was still seeing psych patients. Um, at home, you know, he had a, he'd had he make appointments for them and he'd see them in the lounge room at home. Mum was his secretary. Um, and for ten years after he died, people still rang Mum at home and said, could they see Dr Gottlieb? And she'd have to break the news to them <laughs> that he died five <laughs> years before that. Five years ago. So I guess, you know, I, like Sybil, I think that seeing people and... And knowing that you're helping them really gives you a sense of meaning. Um, I think, you know, for me it's very much part of my identity, Being doing something where I feel like I've got, I'm still valuable and have a professional sort of um, persona. So I see myself doing less. Ian and I have just talked a lot about retiring and both of us, would like to, to work less but not to retire. So I suppose, you know, my idea is that you can actually um, restructure your workload to fit in with that. And and I do I do like being helpful. I I love it when people, you know, get better and they find they find that, you know, what I've done is useful and mm. it just mm. gives me a buzz.
0: It'd be hard to do without it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I I would really miss that and I don't love anything enough. Like I, you know, I see people saying, oh, now I'm playing bridge or I'm playing golf So stuff. I mean, I don't have the bridge golf Mm -hmm. thing, you Mm -hmm.
0: know. Mm -hmm. Does it seem like filling in time?
4: It doesn't appeal to me at all. It's like... It's very interesting that you said something about being useful, that gave you identity, and that was certainly one of the reasons. As I've played with with why, why am I putting off retiring, why don't I want to retire, one of them was identity. And I've begun more and more, and maybe if anyone one day you ever become a grandmother, you might discover it too, that realising that when my children, my grandchildren race up to me and say gran and throw themselves around me, that that's a purpose, that's something that I'm being useful yeah. for, yeah. so that Seeing something, things that are also there that give use and meaning um, mm-hmm. is, is really quite, sig- quite yeah. significant actually.
0: You know, what I'm hearing from this is that whilst we've all been fairly well immersed in our careers, we're coming to a realisation that there are, there are more things that are meaningful to us than medicine mm-hmm. and our oh, careers. Yes. Yeah, i found, found
4: that we can be meaningful too
0: mm-hmm. as well as that are yeah. meaningful to us. I'm a bit with Howard. I find the whole idea of retirement a bit scary. Mm. I don't know whether we sh- if it's for the same reason or not, though. I, I mean, basically retirement to me means being redundant, having no purpose, mm, yeah. but there's something about the conversations that, that's already happened that already makes me feel better about the concept of retirement. And I too am, like Sarah, passing through an, a period of ambivalence about retirement. Um, Sarah's a bit ahead of me on all of that, but. but I'm also older. <laughs> well, I mean, there are things that I really, really don't want to give up like, like devising educational programs and, and the joy of being in at the black, off, black dog office surrounded by a whole lot of young people who tell me that Facebook's for old people and that sort of thing. But, <laughs> but, but it's, really, it's really important to me. To have that kind of contact yeah. with a range of of people of all different ages and types, and you know, and I think one thing about retirement is that it might make the world smaller. It might mean that I'm not meeting as many people or hearing mm-hmm. as many stories, uh, and and that's a bother yes, for me.
3: True. Well, so I could well I mean I've got four stents i've had atrial fibrillation i've had that fixed twice, and so uh, I do have cardiac problems. so so far, you know I can keep walking, but if I go up hills I can't so I think about um, I think about is that going to limit my photography How will no, I... that's why <laughs> How will I climb to the top of that mountain with a fabulous view that I now won't be able to get? so there are things like that bottom that bottom I think bottom. about um, and yeah, so I don't know. It it, it does worry me, I, but so far it hasn't it hasn't restrained me. I've had really good doctors, who um, cardiologists have been extremely good. So from the mental health point of view, I'd, it's disappointing to notice that you don't remember things, but then I adjust. But I'm writing everything down now, and I have lists. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other point I made was that I do get to, I start to worry more about things that it, and often it's unnecessary. So it's that sort of trying to prevent things going wrong and I think because you've had a lot of experience in life, you know that things can go wrong. What could go wrong? So I was thinking about yesterday, we had someone come and paint and I start to think, well, you know, the neighbor's gonna be upset about the smell of the paint, is someone gonna complain? Will he arrive on time? Will he do this? Do I need to phone them up? Should I talk to the neighbours? And of course, none of that happened. But that's the sort of silly stuff you go through, and but, I, well, I went through, which I would not previously have bothered to do. The thing
0: I, about physical symptoms, though, it's realistic to start worrying about whether, whether things are going wrong. You know, you get a pain in your chest and it's much more likely now that it's going to be cardiac in origin than it was 30 years ago. You, you know, you... No, you
4: find a little lump.
0: Yeah, well, you know... Last week I had a brain tumour. This week I've got bowel cancer. I've been a hypochondriac all my life. But as I get older, I'm more likely to be right sometime. Does it worry that. you more
4: that that's you're more likely to be No, black? it actually doesn't, you know. I'm, I'm
0: quite accepting of the fact that, that okay, so... I might be proved
4: right at last. <laughs> what
0: was this? I might be right. You know, all these years I've just been a hypochondriac, but now if I'm worried about my physical health, the probability of my being right about it is increased. Well, that's there's right. There's nothing like being I, right. No, no, there's nothing <laughs> like right. Even if it right gives you and a
1: terminal diagnosis. And, and my most hypochondriacal, my most health neurotic patient that I've ever looked after... When she got diagnosed with cancer, it actually cured her health neurosis, because at last she actually had a physical illness, and she did everything that you could had to do about it. But mm, she mm. stopped worrying about mm, mm, the the mm. eventuality, like the hidden enemy out there, yeah. and it was concretized. Yeah. and you know I understand that completely. Yeah, was yeah. it
0: Spike Milligan who said, "I told you I was sick on his tombstone?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, who had a cardiac neurosis. My mum said since he was about 35 when she first met him, he would always tell her he was going to die young. So when he finally got to be 80, you know, his cardiac neurosis disappeared because he was certainly not going to die young. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's,
3: yeah. It's, it's interesting too because I don't I don't worry about dying, be quite happy I've had a good life and if I disappear that's fine. But it's that thought about being disabled or not being able to cope or not being able to do the photography or not being able to visit friends or being restricted in some way that uh, I think that's uncomfortable
0: you know what you just said about having had a good life that's really important I think in people's mental health as they they yes. age yes. if they've had a good life or if they can remember the things that were good about their life even if overall they haven't haven't had such a terrific life that's That's really important and that reduces the likelihood of being regretful about your life, doesn't it?
2: Mm. I've had a few health problems um, with atrial fibrillation, briefly, very briefly. But I don't think it worries me, but I do worry about the thought of ending up in a disabled state. I really don't want that, but I don't think anybody wants that. I think that's normal. Mm. So we try to avoid it. try and keep busy and active and healthy and check our blood pressure sometimes and check our cholesterol and make sure, try and keep active. Yeah. I don't think I worry a lot about health um, but I I do keep up with my medications and I do keep up having my blood tests sometimes. And go through that awful stress test and walking on the treadmill, <laughs> which I hate, but yeah,
3: yeah.
4: But I would say that among my patients and people I know, there are those for whom that is worrying, very, very concerning. So that we, and and, and makes them more anxious and and things like that. So although we might, I don't know whether we're a typical group or not a typical group, but it's so that even though that's what we're saying, it may not be the general, um, there are others who will think differently. I don't
3: know that I agree with you. I mean, I I think one of the things that I'm aware of and that people in my age group is that we know lots of people who are dying and we know lots of people who are going to nursing homes and we see people, I mean, my brother, who's four years older than me, died of dementia last year. And so we see all this, I see it all around me. And so it's very hard, it gets harder and harder to not see it, although we we try not to see it, I think.
4: but we have to see it as our jobs, particularly those of yeah. us who are still working in general yeah. general practice. Mm.
3: Yeah. But we see it in our family and friends as yes. well. I mean, it's a bit yes. different when you're a detached patient, I think, sometimes. but.
4: In thinking about sort of how ageing has affected or given or my mental health and also how I've learned to manage my mental health. I think part of it is experience, the fact that you've, you've gone through it, having sought some help for it, I think has been a helpful thing to do as well. Um, really, yes, seeking help, staying on appropriate medication as required, um, accepting that may be aspects of depression or anxiety. It may be just a part of me and it's a, learn, it's a case of accepting that rather than saying that's something I've got to get rid of. Um, learning more as I've talked with, other, with patients and worked with more patients and had a, a wider experience of what, what goes on, what life is like. Um, having other interests. Learning to appreciate some of the other things in my life.
3: Um, how I manage my mental health as I age. Um... First thing I do is I have a number of very close friends that I make sure I keep in touch with on a very regular basis and I stay with them and visit them and talk to them regularly. Um, Secondly, my photography is a a big source of uh, stability and fun for me. Uh, Three, I keep doing a lot of um, taking on a lot of learning. So I like to get involved in uh, learning new things, reading things, keeping up to date, that sort of stuff. And fourth, I have a son who I get uh, a lot of satisfaction from tracking his life and uh, keeping track of what he's interested in. And, um, yeah, so I I go to all his soccer games and all that sort of stuff, which he's he's 30 but I still keep going because I get a lot of satisfaction out of it.
2: I'm not sure how to answer the question, really. I think the experience of life and learning things and um interacting with people i think that's kept me stable um i try hard to keep my brain busy um doing puzzles and things when i get a chance um i try to keep active but it's not been so easy lately i keep involved with my family i've got lovely grandkids and that keeps me stable um and I enjoy hobbies like my photo books and trying to make a difference to people with doing things like that. But um, well, I, I think it's, I've learned a lot from my patients and I've learned a lot from doing courses to help my patients, so that's been helpful for me as well. So and Being in this group and having support has been really very helpful. I'm continuing to learn partly mental health things because that's a lot of what I do, but also learning other things and learning about life is has been helpful for me.
1: Um, I I think um, very much like um, everyone else has said. I have um, enjoyed um, what I do. So, in or you know, to maintain my sense of mental health and balance, I do think work plays a part in that. And I contemplate my future having some elements of work in it. Um, I have a lovely family, um, my, my girls and doing things with them, um, keeping in touch with them is very much part of it. My extent, I have contact with my extended family and helping them when they need that too. That gives me a sense of satisfaction. I still am in a writing group and we publish poetry, our poetry books. And so, again, doing some creativity, um, occasionally making some earrings or when I get round to doing some jewellery. I think all those things are really how I keep my mental health stable. Um, but probably the meditation and mindfulness is, a, is very much the, the bedrock thing that I do. So I enjoy that and one of my daughters has become interested and we do that together. We've got uh, classes that we go to together when pre-COVID, when they were running, and I still do do that. And actually learning, I adore learning, always have done. Um, so I'm doing lots of webinars, general practice web webinars, because keeping up to date with general practice is my, the greatest demand for me now in terms of learning. So I do lots of, you know, how you treat dodgy hips and, and heart disease, yeah, it's all, it's all good fun. Yeah. You know, it strikes me that as a group we're probably
0: not typical And we're more like each other than we are like the rest of the population. That is possible, I suspect. Which is part of
4: probably what's (laughs) kept us together as a group. Possibly.
0: I mean, in that we all really um, thrive on intellectual stimulation and learning and none of us like to exercise very much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, now, in my role I really should be saying that the best thing for keeping me stable is exercise. And yes... Doing enough exercise is actually good, but if I try and push myself to do more exercise than I actually need, which is probably a walk every couple of days, don't tell anyone, Uh, then that is actually worse for my mental health than, than not doing it. Because I start to ruminate about how it might have been better, uh, my health might have been better if I'd done this amount of exercise for my whole life. So I feel guilty about the past, and I feel bad about, anxious about the future because I don't think I can keep it up. <laughs> I I'm don't. Have to <laughs> it so. Around <laughs> and
1: all that. You so. Can't do that too,
0: so. Yeah. so I'm not going to toe the party line and say exercise is what keeps me stable because it's not just enough is all I need but being interested in the world around me is is what helps me me most um, even when all the news is bad, getting intellectually involved in even that bad news is something that's good and As I said before, contact with other people is enormously important. But I also like to read. I also like to do creative pursuits. Creative pursuits are really important to me. Like Margie, I write, I make jewellery, I knit a lot, especially now I'm going to be a grandma. Oh, oh, did I let a secret out of the bag? (laughs) Anyway, so uh, I mean I think that probably sums it up, that sort of, Staying connected with the world and keeping your horizons wide. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to do a lot of travel, and that, whilst you know, it, I'm a bit anxious too, as well as a bit depressive. And and the travel, I had a lot of anticipatory anxiety about travel. I often was anxious while I was travelling, but in retrospect, it's been fantastic for me in terms of. of the enrichment of my life and my Mm. engagement with the world. And I'm continuing to try to stay engaged with the world at that level, kind of on an international, global level, if you like, in my engagement with the news and with documentaries and all that kind of thing. So I think that's really important.
1: Maybe it wouldn't work for everybody but it's what works for me. No, travel's amazing. So travel's actually really probably been travel and art, you know, because Mm. the other that's the other thing because I... I'm passionate about Aboriginal art and mm. we've travelled mm. a lot. It's
0: a bit of a shame, isn't it? We're all going yeah. to find ways of, have to find ways of being armchair travellers. Yes, absolutely. While. It's yeah. very
4: interesting how yeah. different things relate to it because you were saying about exercise and you were saying about travel. We found that one of the best things we did was go on the Camino, mm. do a yes. walk on the Camino we, because it made, yes. us, made us exercise. You more. trained yeah. for yeah. it, didn't you? you trained and we for it, trained then. for it. And just for a little laugh, yeah. having a Fitbit. And, re- and it reminding you every hour that you need to do a bit more exercise. need to move your arm around. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to 10,000 steps every day. I feel it, like a terrible
1: act- a hypocrite because I'm constantly telling the depressed people I see to go and do some exercise, exercise. Shh, shh, And They're going to hear
4: this Margie. <laughs> And having a dog is very nice too, it Having a dog or a and all that. So it's good for men.
0: I hope you enjoyed coming to lunch with us. For me, what we've just heard underscores the need to find and nurture the things that make life meaningful as we get older. Life is not all about work. There are a lot of things that become more important than work as time goes by, like connection with family and friends, engagement with the wider world, and taking the opportunity to develop new, often creative, interests. Life doesn't go on forever and probably more importantly, it doesn't go on the same way forever. More than anything else, it seems that it's the way we see aging that's important. Is it just a decline into misery and irrelevance, or can we make it our liberation from youthful responsibility and an opportunity to explore a whole new part of life experience? Now there's a challenge for us all. Listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you've found distressing, don't forget to talk to your usual support person or call Lifeline on 131114. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.